Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, with my co-host, Matt Robeson. We're broadcast on WKXL, AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and now 101.9 in the gate city of Manchester, New Hampshire. We are podcast wherever in the known universe you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to my podcast, please subscribe, like us, tell your friends, share about this great program on social media. We're really pleased today to welcome our old friend, David Pepper, to Beyond Politics. David, welcome. Thank you. Good to be back with you guys. David is the former chair of the Ohio Democratic Party, born and raised in Cincinnati. He served in city, county offices, runs statewide in Ohio, and has a law degree from Yale. But he's also an accomplished author of fiction that is eerily prescient about American politics. He correctly foretold Russian interference in the 2016 election in his book, The People's House, while his third book, The Voter File, was wildly entertaining and a deeply informative look at something most people never hear about, but is absolutely critical to the way campaigns operate. His newest book, Laboratories of Autocracy, shows that far more than the high-profile antics of politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Jim Jordan, and yes, even bigger than Donald Trump's big lie, it's anonymous, often corrupt politicians in state houses across the country who pose the greatest dangers to American democracy. So, uh, David, we're happy to have you, and uh, we'll probably get into some of those state houses around the country. But, but first, I, you know, I understand that you just had a conversation with a former presidential candidate, former secretary of state, and now author of a new political thriller that has at its core a, a, uh, a, a chilling a chilling plot around autocracy. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. I, I was honored, uh, honestly, and I have not read her book yet, but it's on the way. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, I think last week tweeted out something that, you know, was an amazing moment for me is, hey, read this guy's book because he's onto something. It's time to go on offense on for democracy all the time, all 50 states. And and we had a phone call yesterday where we talked about the same thing. And um, I haven't read her book, but clearly from that book, and when you write fiction, as I've tried to do, you often do try and incorporate the real world. And it sounds like that she's incorporating some of her concerns. And I can tell you, she's she is really concerned about what I what I'm writing about and what we're seeing. And even today with the Texas law, it's just one other example that while we focus on sort of this big stuff and every crazy thing Trump does, whether it's at a Braves game or you name it, or Marjorie Taylor Greene, that these state houses are churning away every day, undermining democracy, underlining, undermining the rule of law. And we know it to some degree, although many don't, but we never do anything about it. We, we kind of watch it and we accept it, that that's how it's got to be. And I think her concern, my concern is if, if we simply, if that's our mindset, that we simply let them do it, we try and stop it at court, but we never actually go on offense to try and recreate some semblance of democracy in states, they're gonna win. You know, if one team's on offense all the time, and I, I've been with my seven-year-old watching a lot of soccer games lately, so I'm seeing it in person. Like, 
if one team's on offense all the time and you're only on defense, your goalies try his best, at some point you, you lose. And when you accept as given that state houses will be crazy and undemocratic and you never actually try and change that, you will lose. And that's sort of the point of the book. And, and that's something that and, and when I say lose here, I don't mean lose individual cases on individual issues. I mean, lose democracy itself, because that's what's happening uh, in these state houses. They are on a full out assault on the most basic principles of democracy. If another country were doing what, what they are doing, we'd be horrified. But within the United States, we just we let it happen more than we should. So for our listeners who follow politics, which is, you know, probably a good percentage of them because this is a politics show. I want to ask about your contention that the real action, we pay a lot of attention to the crazy stuff and Donald Trump, you know, deliberately tweaking us with racism and et cetera. But the real action what we should really be paying attention to is in the state houses. I have a, a little bit of experience with this, not as an elected politician, but as a staffer, I went from being a staffer in the U.S. Congress to being a staffer in a legislature in the New Hampshire State Senate. I'm kind of the Crash Davis of staffers. I went from the big leagues. I went from the show to to AAA. But I got to say, my experience was very much, you know, AAA is, is actually where it's at. We did some really consequential, important things at the state level and it's not that the federal level isn't important, but there is an awful lot going on down at the down, I should say, at the state level that right. people just don't pay attention to. So are you are you arguing that we really have an inverted focus and we need to be paying much, much more attention to the state level? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd ask it this way. How many laws has Marjorie Taylor Greene passed? Right. Right. Zero. Lauren Boebert, zero. Like they're talking. God, God help us if they're a majority, but there are hundreds of people just like them in state houses. And the answer to that question for them is a whole lot of laws. They pass them all the time. And, and no one, no one really watches. Again, we have a couple, every few weeks we get mad about one. We try and fight it. We have a boycott, but, but then we go back to sort of focus on DC and they go past another law. They never slow down. Um, and here's the here's the cha- here's the bigger challenge. While while a lot of people aren't watching that, the Koch brothers are. They know this is where they go to get things done. They know that state reps and state centers have as much control, in some cases even more control, on key issues like the rules of elections, like the drawing of districts, other issues. There's more control in state houses than in Congress, and the silence and the lack of awareness from most of America has created for those who seek to do some bad things, the perfect vehicle, which is go to those state houses. In fact, you don't even have to go, fly them to your conference, give them the legislation. They fly home on your bill, they pass the legislation and those in the states don't even know it's happening or not enough to. And because of gerrymandering, they can't stop it anyway. So. I call this the Achilles heel of American governance and a whole lot of people have no idea, but those seeking to do some pretty bad things, the Heritage Foundation has been bragging about all they've gotten through state houses when it comes to suppressing the vote. There was so a, there was the a hidden video. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, there, there was a hidden video, right? When it came yeah. to, when it came to the 
election subversion laws, not just voter suppression, Correct. but actual ability of legislatures to step in and say, hey, real, real nice, real cute what you voters thought you were doing with your so-called right. democracy. But, you know, that that's that's lovely. Let us just decide what your election was about. Yep. All of this was model legislation that the Heritage Foundation, this the shadowy right wing think tank in Washington was creating. And they were just feeding it to these legislators and they were caught on hidden video right. bragging about it. Right. Yeah. And by the way, they were caught. It's not going to stop the legislatures. They just don't care. They are not basically. And, and this sounds nuts, but it's just true. In many of the states, these are no longer democracies. They have they have they have literally per, uh, carved out districts and changed rules, so they're untouchable. So even though that video was was what it was, it got out there. It's not going to slow the state houses down. They're not going to stop. And and it's it's sort of you know, we've now and, and here's the part I go into my book. Um, we are now living at the end of the first generation of office holders in all these states who essentially have never experienced democracy in their own rise to power. In fact, they realize, because they're all living off of this horrible 2011 gerrymander that happened in Ohio and all over the country. So these are people who literally have never themselves, their own path to office has essentially not involved the people. They, they maybe won a single primary at some point where they got like 8,000 votes. Now they're sitting pretty in, in state capitals and they know one thing. The only rate way they lose their office is if they're challenged way to the extreme in a primary or if they have a robust democracy where they actually face a general election. So what do they do? They never allow themselves to get out extremed. And two, they make sure there never are general elections. They essentially do everything they can to avoid the robust democracy, they would usher many of them out of office, office because they're too extreme. They're not electable in a fair district. And that's what they're doing right now. And that's the first generation. If we're not careful, we're gonna to get to a second generation. And that means for literally 20 years, we're gonna essentially have had in the majority of states in this country, entire states that aren't real democracies. And, and, and we are seeing how warped things get when you don't have a real democracy. I mean really unpopular laws. That Texas bill, that's unpopular in Texas. It's unpopular everywhere. They don't care. They're not a democracy. We're seeing that all over the country you know, on guns and everything else. Really unpopular, indefensible, bill, indefensible bills keep passing because the people passing them don't feel like they're accountable in any way to the voters. And, and my point is, if we don't get in there and say we need democracy again, in these states, like it's going to keep happening until they ultimately prevail. It's a very similar moment, not to sound too worried, but we all should be. It's a very similar moment to Jim Crow, the dawn of Jim Crow. It's very similar to that. And once there was a certain point hit, there's no turning back. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I'm scared. OK, yeah, I, I'm 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 appropriately panicked because we're living it in New Hampshire right now. But yeah, I mean, New Hampshire followed a whole different course, David. It was really interesting. I mean, about 20 years ago, a, a group of free staters 
extreme libertarians decided to target New Hampshire and have people move here. And they did. And they started getting elected at local levels. And now basically they're camouflaged as the Republican Party. Um, they've gone beyond where even the, the guy who started the whole thing thought anything ought to go. He's now going, wait a second, I didn't mean for it to go this far. And right. uh, they, they won in the last election. They took over. We've had abortion bills. We've had voting suppression. We've had, we've had the whole nine yards in New Hampshire. And we pride ourselves on our democracy. We, you right. know, we elect we elect 400, 400 people in the in the house every two years, and and senators and everybody else, and so we think we're we think we're the laboratory of democracy, and it's gone it's gone completely yeah. crazy. But yeah. tell me what what was the most surprising thing that readers are going to get when they pick pick up this book, and what surprised you in writing it? What was really unexpected? It's funny you ask that because I wrote the book because I was already worried. And when I'm done writing it, I'm now I give a lot of hope about what we can do. But two thirds of the way through, I'm more worried after writing it than I was when I started writing for, oh, for the reason you, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I agree with you. I think the people who gerrymandered in 2011, some of them at least, or Carl Rove was the one who orchestrated targeting state houses in 10. And he did it when Obama was very popular. They were they did not they did not take 09 as sort of the end for them. They kept fighting. It's what we need to do. Um, I don't think they anticipated as bad as it's gotten. I don't think they even thought the consequences of a generation of people at democracy would be as warped as they've become. Um, what would you know? Here's an example of, of how undemocratic it's become. We had a bill, you may remember this, this is, I don't want to take too much time with this, but we had a bill called Senate Bill 5. It was an attack on collective bargaining in Ohio, just like there was one in Wisconsin in 2011. This was John Kasich's, you know, big, big entree as governor. It was so unpopular. It absolutely tanked at the polls. We, you know, there were a million plus signatures gathered. We refer, we had a referendum. It went down as bad as anything could. It lost in like 83 out of 88 counties in 2011. You turn around in 2012 and Kasich bullied almost every Republican to voting for it. So finally, as you guys would know, rarely do state house votes get any attention. This was the opposite. This was a statewide debate. This was a, a, every single state house district, but a couple. This thing went down in flames, not just Democratic areas everywhere. Ohio believes in unions. That made that clear. Well, almost every single person who voted for that was up for re-election in 2012. Obama won Ohio in 2012. Only one of those people lost. Even when they had voted for the most hot, like negatively viewed, destroyed issue, they didn't even break a sweat. And the one guy who lost by a few votes Two years later, another guy came along and Republicans won that district back. Meaning even in the worst case scenario of the most, and by the way, ALEC was, they used a lot of ALEC language in that bill. And, so and ALEC lesson, stands for the American Legislative Exchange. Yeah, sorry. It's Council. a national group that, that's feeding mo, quote unquote model legislation that's for pro-right wing stuff. So the, the shocking part is, and I didn't even realize this until I did my research. Even in our best case scenario, that a piece of legislation 
just gets destroyed, goes down in flames. Like if you and I were in a legislature and we voted for this thing and it lost, we'd be like, oh my gosh, we're, we're never going to win again. It was so rejected. They all won. And what's scary is it shows you they have walled themselves off from the people. Even in a year when Ohio was blue, they won. And it shows the Koch brothers, my God, even when something we try goes down in flames, the people pushing it still don't even break a sweat. Most of them won by double digits. And that's and that story should scare everyone that the Texas law, the Supreme Court, maybe it'll strike it down, but no one who voted for it will face any consequence. And that's why the Koch brothers think, well, my God, if we have something really horrible and hairy and unpopular that we want to get done, we take it to a state house. And no matter what, even in the worst case scenario, none of the people who advance it on behalf will pay a price. And, well, and that is not a democratic system in the end. If if even the most unpopular things lead to no accountability. Well, let, let well, I want to promise our listeners that we are going to pivot to the okay. upward climb to hope. In okay, good. Just a few minutes. We may have to do it in a moment after a break. Paul, if you want to ask a follow-up, we have a couple more minutes. So go ahead. Yeah. So, so with all that disaster and horror that you have just talked to, to us about in the state house, Democrats now have a president in the White House fighting intra-party, waiting to see what's going to happen in Virginia. And with all that news, why is it, do you think, that Democrats still just don't seem enthusiastic about coming out to vote? Because that's all the news that we're getting coming out of Virginia, where it's yeah. too close to call. And they say it's because Democrats just aren't enthusiastic enough about what Democrats have done. What's a poor yeah. Democrat to do? I mean, there are two things. One, we've got to be really smart in our campaigns to make, and I get th- I get into this with the book, in the book, about uh, make sure you're talking about issues that people really care about. And that's the, the theme to when we've won, even in gerrymandered and, ba- and uh, Republican states, is that if you get back to issues like the decline of public schools in these terrible, terribly run states, like they did in Kansas, you can actually win. But the second thing is, and this is a bigger picture, if we don't reframe our politics to be about fighting for democracy everywhere, we're going to lose. Uh, we have to we have to organize, invest in every single person who cares about democracy needs to add fighting for democracy to their own personal mission statement, to the nonprofit they run, to the restaurant they run, because the other side is fighting democracy every day in all 50 states in every year's elections, not just through Terry McAuliffe's race, through school board races. And through every level, through state house, and we 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 are defining too much of what we do by the presidential map, and by the federal cycle. And if one side is always fighting, and you're only fighting occasionally because you get excited about certain candidates, but not democracy itself, the other side will always win. And I try and walk through all the specific ways you can do that in the book. Well, I want to just jump on that for a moment because I just wrote an op-ed in Newsweek basically making the case it's entitled Trump is going to be the nominee in 2024. Why aren't we panicking yet? And that's that's really the point is that I know Democrats are all tied up in the build back better and infrastructure and et cetera. And we're going to clear the decks of all that shortly. But after that, there is nothing else. Democrats should literally focus on nothing else, try to pass nothing else, talk about nothing else for the next year 
except for saving the country and saving American democracy. Right. If there's one thing that you just said that I hope will stick with people beside, you know, buying this book, it's that. It's that absolute laser focus that we need in order to have a chance of saving the country. Check out the op-ed. And I hope people will check out the book, which yeah. is called Laboratories of Autocracy. So you just took us down a little bit of uh, a descent into sadness and madness about yeah. what's happening at the state level in America. And I promised our listeners, and I will, I will double down on that promise, that we are going to pivot to what we can do to get out of the slide. I want to just continue on sort of the diagnostic angle for just for just one more moment here, because one of the things that I heard you saying is districts are so gerrymandered by these legislators who got in as a result of the wave in 2010 and then were able to control the redistricting in 2011, and they created little fiefdoms for themselves. They're totally protected political balloons where they don't have to, in any meaningful sense, submit themselves to the will of the voters. They're going to win no matter what they do, so they don't care. It's not even about thumbing their nose at the voters. It's about literally not even knowing that the voters are there because they are in office. And it's often said that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And one of the issues that's been bemoaned around the country is the loss of statehouse journalism, statehouse reporters. In 2003, the American Journalism Review found that 524 statehouse reporters were covering the 50 state capitals as a full-time beat. In the most recent survey, that number had dropped by 30% to 355. 44 states reported a net decline in the number of reporters. Now, here's the question for you. Does this actually matter? Because to some degree, if all of these legislators are so protected in their gerrymandered bubbles and can act with impunity, does it even matter that their actions are not getting reported on? Or does it matter because it is a factor in firing up voters to actually turn out? Yeah, it, it all matters. I mean, it, the dream scenario for these, you know, rigged politicians is no challenge in election day, which too often happens. Often they're not challenged and no media. Then there's not even a conversation that we're having in their area. Uh, so, yeah, the fact that the districts are gerrymandered is bad enough. But you're in this way. We have to think through what is everything about the current situation that is that is bad. And how do we fix it? And one is every party chair and state caucus needs to make sure there is a challenge for every single district member representative, even as badly as gerrymandered. And when, the, when people take on a guy who's in a 70-30 district, celebrate the hell out of that fact. Don't, and if they don't win, keep celebrating the fact that they ran. But we have to challenge these people. And you have to have not just state house, you, you don't have state house bureaus anymore. Those are dissipating quickly, but you also are losing local papers. And often it's that local paper that will cover your representative. The state house bureaus will cover the budget, maybe the craziest of the laws. But the other problem, and that doesn't, doesn't get enough attention, but the other problem is back at home, people should know who their state rep is and what they did. And without that local paper, which are also cratering, 
There's never a story on, hey, state representative so-and-so did this or that. Hey, here's the other thing, not to keep going on the, the negative side, but, and you all know this, when you're cutting newspapers, where do they cut first? Editorial boards, columnists. So the, the, part, the institutional knowledge beyond the beat reporters are also being cut. And in, in, in Ohio, some of the people that would be most ready to say, this state house is acting like crazy. We haven't seen this in 40 years are the people who've been watching for 40 years and they're all being cut as well. So you're having all these layers of independent analysis and attention disappear, which again is what is what the Koch brothers would love. Like we can get a law passed through all, but not Albany, but well, maybe Albany in the worst case scenario, but through Columbus and, and Tallahassee and Austin. And most of the reporters are too busy to cover it. There's no hometown paper explaining it. There's no editorial board criticizing it. And it just happens. Now, every once in a while, there's a Senate Bill 5 and it blows up. Even then, we're fine. But nine times out of 10, no one even knows. It's perfect. And so, yeah, the local journalism is a big part of the problem. And, and you know, back on the solutions, that means if you care about this, you know, I hate to say it, don't try and get around the paywall. If there's a good paper covering the state house, read the stories, share them, subscribe. I'm, I'm a big Bengals fan, but don't only, don't only share the stories about the, the, the sports analysis. Um, you know, I assume you're all Patriots fans there, but also, also share the state house stuff. Cause that's how, that is how newspapers are deciding what to cover, what gets linked to what gets shared. And if we don't start saying we care about this stuff, they're not going to cover it like they used to. And it's obviously already it's taken a real toll. So, so if you were if you were to um, to list a cavalcade of hits, the greatest hits, i.e. the worst offenders. I mean, what how what's your what's your ranking like? Let's do a ranking of the worst offenders amongst the legislators at legislatures. Uh, it's. It is every week is someone new. I mean, it's it's literally. I mean, Ohio. I'll put it this way: Ohio was a forerunner on voting rights attacks. Right, at, you know, they were, so, and and this is interesting because they were so offended that Obama won Ohio with a diverse coalition, but they were equally offended that their gerrymander from two thousand one was defeated in 08 when Democrats won the state house in Ohio thanks to that diverse and energized coalition. So in 11, they, they targeted all the elements of the coalition that turned Ohio blue through changes in voting. Forget the gerrymandering, of course, too. It was early vote. It was, they tried to go through the souls to the polls on Sundays. They talked, they literally said that. We don't, we want to take this on. Um, young voters, they tried in multiple ways to make it harder for out-of-state college students. Um, they purged millions of voters and, and no surprise, the purging is predominantly where, you know, Obama did very well. Um, and oh, so Ohio in many ways set the stage and is a lot of what it did was upheld by courts. You saw Georgia do it. You see other states doing it. Florida's doing it. But so Ohio kind of was a first sort of a model 
Others picked up on it. But right now, you know, it's a never ending battle. And oftentimes, and this is a problem, oftentimes the swing states get the most attention. So, you know, we all know that Florida is doing some terrible things, Georgia, Texas. Oh, but the, the more a state gets categorized as blue or red, we almost give up. Like Ohio now is viewed as more red. We can talk about that. So the Ohio outrages are less covered now than the Georgia outrages because Georgia just went for Biden. But the truth is tons of red states are doing this stuff. And every time there's a success, every other state starts doing it. I mean, they are literally operating as laboratories. They're always trying new things. If they make a mistake, they learn from their mistake. Interesting example of that. One reason Senate Bill 5 in Ohio was such a disaster for Republicans was they included police and fire in it. And police and fire became the face of the opposition. Wisconsin didn't include police and fire. They passed. Attacks on collective bargaining since, every state learned, keep police and fire out of it. They will defeat it. That's what they're doing on voting. This Texas abortion law, if it's upheld, everyone will do it. If it's not upheld, they'll figure out why, they'll adjust, they'll repass it. They're all learning from each other. So that's the point, even in states that are very red, that we don't worry about for presidential elections. If they pass a law that survives scrutiny, those swing states will then do it. So democracy being undermined anywhere begins the domino falling, even in, you know, ultimately to blue states and swing states. But, but yeah, there's a certain group of states right now in Ohio is sort of the grandpa of these because we started earlier, but there's, there's a, you know, this Georgia legislature, you know, changing the rules. So no longer does even a secretary of state uh, is even on the board that determines these things, but the legislature represents it. I mean, horrible stuff. And Texas is clearly on a roll right now too, in a terrible way. All right. We've teased it long enough. I think we've hit rock bottom. This is the battle for Helm's Deep. This is the, the turning of the tide. David Pepper is about to present to us that beacon of hope, right? The sun coming up over the horizon and the cavalry making the charge. So let's just set the stage for this year. I mean, you've, you've definitely given us the bad news here. And, but I, I, I really do want people to read your book. I really do. And no one is going to necessarily sign up for, you know, just more of the, of the yeah. parade of horribles. Although, gosh, it is awfully important that we all be aware of it. Yeah. But in your book, you very consciously present, look, there's, there's a way to do this. There's a roadmap out. Now, we know that what happened was the Republicans figured out a little earlier than the Democrats did, hey, let's focus on the state legislatures. And they rode right. that wave in 2010. They did the gerrymandering. They won a bunch of state houses. And they, and they you know, ran roughshod for the next 10 years. Democrats yeah. tried to fight back in this 2020 cycle. Former yeah. Attorney General Eric Holder. We had the executive director of his organization, John Ponsignano, on this show. Yeah. And it was talking about, gosh, we really took a swing at trying to win these state legislatures. It didn't work out. It didn't right. work out in 2020. Democrats suffered a setback, for lack of a better word. So that attempt did not work for now. But that right. doesn't mean, I think your point is, <laughs> that doesn't mean we should give up. And we no. should say it's all over. So what yeah. do Democrats do now? So um, thanks for saying that. And the reason the first third, two thirds of the book is so negative, I, I actually, I want to shock people. People need to be shocked by how bad it is. 
because I worry that we're the frog in the pot, right? And we don't really appreciate it. And so I try and tell the story in a way that is, I mean, even insiders are reading my book saying, my God, that's horrible. And, and I do it to try and inspire to say, yes, it's that bad. And if we don't, we don't get to work, it's lost. Um, and look, our listeners can probably hear, if you're hearing bings, that's because David Pepper is blowing up. His computer is blowing up. That. No, it's okay. No, no, no. This is, yeah. I, I just want people to understand that like people are pinging you about this yeah. book. Hillary Clinton is calling you about this book. Yeah. It is worth getting through the bad, yeah. kind of scary stuff because it's that important. Yeah. And I've tried to write in a way that like I've written novels. So it's hopefully more readable than your typical book on this stuff. But, but there are a couple things on the, what do we have to do side? Um, and I don't want to, you know, I give, I give 30 concrete things. Some of them are for the most important people in the country. Most of them are for everyday citizens uh, to get in the middle of this and everyone can play a role, but let me be very clear. You mentioned after the infrastructure is done, they cannot allow this window of time to close without protecting voting rights and democracy. It, that would be a, a failure that we would spend the rest of our lives looking back and think they blew it. They have to. In the filibuster, if you look at the history of our country, the founders knew that undemocratic state houses were a huge risk to our democracy. I write about this in the book. They literally wrote a clause in the Constitution that no one really, most people don't know is there that says the federal government shall guarantee a Republican form of government at state level. Now, when they said Republican form of government, they meant democracy as we think about it. They meant representing the will of the people. They didn't, there's not a lot of parts of the constitution that are this clear cut, shall guarantee. They understood that if they were giving state houses all these powers over elections and electors and drawing of district lines, they understood and were worried that if those state governments ever became undemocratic, the powers that they had given them could be used in terrible ways. So that's why they write this very simple sentence. The federal government shall guarantee that these are democracies. And that's why when I hear about the filibuster, I'm like, wait a second, are you not reading the guarantee clause? Because the founders would say to you, uh, filibuster, are you... We said you'd guarantee this. And the idea that like states that aren't democracies would get to use the filibuster to stop the guarantee from being implemented, they'd say, You're, you didn't read our sentence very well. So first and foremost, and I'm trying, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of kayaking uh, to Joe Manchin's boat uh, in, in the Potomac and hand him my, at least hand him this chapter and be like, there's no filibuster when it comes to democracy in states. You have an obligation under the Constitution to protect democracy in states because the founders worry that everything else would sink if you didn't do that. So they and, and included in voting rights protection, I'm sorry, bigger than voting rights protection, they need to write in language that protects against gerrymandering. Without that, it's a race to the bottom. And that's what we're seeing. So the and, and I hate to, again, this is negative, but positive. If they don't do this. I'm afraid everything else doesn't add up. You know, the, fed, the, the lack of federal resistance at the end of the 1800s is why Jim Crow won. The federal government stopped fighting the forces against democracy in the late 1800s. It, when they fought it, like Ulysses Grant, who's sitting there over your right shoulder I know, on the video at least, um, 
when Ulysses Grant fought the KKK, he won. And it we held the line. But when later politicians, this gets back, Paul, to your point, when later politicians started fighting about other issues and couldn't get their act together and cut deals with the other side, Jim Crow won. So we have to have the federal government protect us from these attacks on democracy. Okay, that's point one. Tell your Congress people, tell your Senator, I, I, I don't care where you are in this country, you have an obligation by the constitution to fight for democracy at the state level. But number two is, okay, everyone else, you have the same obligation. Um, and we need to, whether you're a political leader or whether an everyday citizen, there are many things you can do. It starts with understanding what's happening in local government in your state house. Do you know who your state rep is? Are they fighting for democracy or against it? If they're fighting for it, call them up, see how you can help them, see who else you need to help. If they're fighting against it, whatever you do, do not let this election cycle go by without making sure they're challenged. Um, there's a whole lot in there about um, rethinking how we define success. We are so sort of cycle by cycle right now in our country and in in, in particularly on the progressive side. This is a long game. Just because you didn't win one cycle, just because you're a candidate who took on a gerrymandered incumbent, just because you lost, don't think that it was all a lost cause. Uh, I, give the, there, I give case studies of this. Now, the best is Stacey Abrams. Stacey's been through a lot, okay? She's running some tough races. Because she kept fighting, because she saw progress, even in what looked like a loss in 18, Every time she runs, more people are being registered, more people being engaged. It didn't quite get her over the top through brutal suppression 18. She kept going, and it's why Georgia turned blue in 20. Like, we have had examples in, in Ohio. We had three people take on districts that were gerrymandered in 11 in uh, 2016. They didn't quite win. We then had 99 candidates challenging every statehouse district in 18. For the first time in a decade, we flipped six of them. Three of them were people who ran in 16 and then just kept running. And they won in 18. They won by even more in 20, even when the year was worse statewide than it was in 18. So we have to think, you know, like John Lewis did, like women's suffragists did. This is a long game for democracy. And we need to rethink everything we do with that long game in mind. Um, and it also is a 50-state you know, we, should, we, we cannot define the battle as a battle over the Electoral College, although we better win that, too. You, as I said, like, if, if there is a state that is undemocratic and it can get a whole lot of things done, that's a threat to every other state, because if it happens, it's precedent, it's modeled. So we have to start drawing our map differently and supporting candidates differently and not just pegging everything on the presidential cycle. And, and I go through this in the book. Now, this will sound simplistic until you realize it's what the other side did. If you take a rounding error of the money that is spent in a presidential year, a rounding error, and you invested it in 50 states in local, in local races, you would have millions of dollars but that any state chair or caucus chair or candidate would say, my God, if I had that sliver in my state, I could run a great race for state house. I could actually make noise. I could win in a close district, but we never do that. And I'm not saying take away the presidential money. I'm saying I'm saying a rounding error, and 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 stretch it out for all four years. You not only would be protecting democracy 
in all those states, you'd actually do better in the presidential race because you would have had permanent infrastructure you're building. So, so the powers that be and you think that way, but then when you get to the local level, I go through this in my book, you know, there's a lot of things that we all have to do. You know, they are fighting democracy every day. They are purging voters every day. We have to be fighting for it every day. And this is where I think that, that um, the way I think about it is every, every organization needs to incorporate into their mission statement, fighting for democracy, like individually, restaurants, barbershops, every mayor, here's an example. And, and every citizen should be demanding this. Your city mayors, are they using their rec centers and their health clinics and their parks or whatever outward facing constituent service that they have in their portfolio, are they using it to register voters or aren't they? Because I guarantee you, your mayors were pushing to have a big census count, right? Were they, are they doing the same to register voters? And if they're not, they need to right away. I, and I don't say this to be scolding. I was a council member. I didn't do it. I didn't think about it. But if you think that part of your mission, if they're attacking every day, democracy and voters, if you bring to your mindset, my mission statement going forward is to support democracy, that every mayor, every nonprofit leader, especially those who are serving those most likely to be purged, they need to incorporate into what they do every day, lifting voters, registering voters, empowering voters. If everyone did that, it, so we can't wait for a Stacey Abrams in every state, although I, if they come, wonderful. But every single person can incorporate into what they do in every entity. You know, Sherrod Brown, when he was Secretary of State, he had McDonald's have McDonald's menus. You know, the old kids menus on the tray, voter registration documents, like you could register. Everyone needs to be doing that. And again, it's what the other side is doing. And on that, on that taking a sliver of presidential year money and spreading it among all the states, that's what the Koch brothers did. It's paid off in huge ways. They decided we're going to invest every year. This year, it's school board races. Uh, so we have to think from large level political operatives down to everyday citizens, how do we all turn this into a long game? And how do we see success even at dark times? And in the book, again, this isn't just academic. There are examples of where this has worked. And we need to model off those examples. There are examples where we've won in red states. There are examples where we flip gerrymandered states like Virginia. Uh, and there are examples where individuals who knew it was a long game just kept going and kept going. And, and as I say in the book, it's all additive. When Stacey ran in 18, everyone she registered meant they weren't purged and meant they were ready to vote for Biden in 20. Every campaign adds to the next campaign. You got to think about it that way, or we'll just, you know, we'll have a bad cycle and give up and move on. And the minute, like we said 100 years ago, the minute we stop fighting, they will literally take over. Well, you know, I'm really glad that we're closing the show with that comprehensive look. I, I know it's, it's a brief overview and you go into much more detail. I mean, you have 30 points for people to consider in your book. And I know that people are going to want to, especially after they, they get the bad news. I would just urge people, pay attention to the bad news. It's, it's in there so that we'll give it its due attention. I am deeply alarmed. I know Paul is deeply alarmed. We are, we are really, really concerned 
about the real possibility that we might break down into warring red and blue enclaves over the next three years and that our entire democracy might be on the verge of extinction. So I urge people to check out this book and most of all, to check out that comprehensive list of what we can do to save America. David Pepper, thank you so much for being with us. The book is Laboratories of Autocracy. Check it out. For Paul Hodes, I'm Matt Robeson on Beyond Politics. Thanks, guys.